Welcome to New Type Flash. This is a podcast where every other week we come to you with Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological order. Uh, this week we are coming to you with Zeta episodes 33 and 34. And with us we have Scotty P. Did you know that? Did you know about Axis? Because in the movie they just flop this floppy screen in front of you that moves and pans across it. And they're like, then Char goes, Yeah, I know. And they're like, Okay, great. Moving on to the next thing. Did you know about the Jupiterus? Expedition and Luke. I did not know. I uh, when you brought up the movie uh, yesterday or day before yesterday, I just like zoomed to the end of it to see where it ended, and I was like, "Ah, this is this is not how the show happens." (laughs) Like even the last five minutes, it's very similar. um, But yeah, yeah, like yet quite a bit different at the very end yeah um i think it's a weird place to stop it but i i just finished watching it not 40 minutes ago yeah i meant to to turn it on but today was a little bit hectic but i'm, I'm gonna go back and watch it because when i so when i originally watched zeta um to dive you know, I, I gave him the bad advice of watching the compilation movies yeah and i i did fine so like no. you know, burning through the the first the original series compilation movies is pretty coherent. There's stuff that you miss if you don't watch the show, but like you get the gist of the show. With Zeta, oh my god, I stopped it. I stopped like halfway through movie two and was like, all right, I'm gonna go watch the TV show now. And I've never finished the movies. I was uh, when we were talking about redoing this. I was getting ready to start rewatching Zeta, and you were watching the movies at the time, and you were like, oh my god. What the fuck? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna watch the show. I still, to this day, have never watched the Zeta compilations all the way through. I just, I had thought I had not seen them at that time, and I thought, well, Zeta's not that like much more complicated than the One Year War. Certainly, the movie should be fine, and they redid all this stuff. Nah, man, don't watch those movies if you haven't watched the series. And even if you have watched yeah. the series, there's points where you go, "Wait, where did we? Where did we jump to?" Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna watch the uh, the movies um, over this Christmas break. I think this episode actually end, is gonna air uh, like at the end of very end of December. So I'll probably have already watched the movies by the time this this comes out. Um, so like next week or something like that. But man, yeah, the first. It didn't make any sense. I was confused. Like you get confused watching Zeta sometimes if you're not watching closely, but even if you're watching these movies closely, you get confused. But there are some pretty visuals in them, so there's that. Yep. I actually turned on, I had bought the Turn A compilation movies on a sale, and I watched the first half hour of the first one last week during a lunch break. And it felt like a montage, like someone put together a YouTube clip montage of the first handful of episodes, and that was all you were watching. I can't, it, I, I, I can't like, hear I, somebody I, say montage anymore without hearing the Team America a montage. <laughs> That's right, which was the Aspen montage before it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I feel like you could put that music to it, and it, it, it would kind of work because it. It doesn't really like hit the brakes at all until he gets into the turn A. So, yeah, I mean, I as like opposed to like the G Reco movies, where there's going to be like what six movies for the whole series or something like that. It's basically a re-edit of the series. Yeah, with the same length. I, I'm it should, anything out. It should be left alone, <laughs> but made better, but not cut. Yeah, I mean, I think we've mentioned it before, the Zeta movies, like there's some new scenes, but it's also like they took um, the Blu-ray remasters and then put like a grain of film on top of them and changed the aspect ratio a little bit. And it's just, it's, it's it doesn't look bad. It just looks weird. The old animation looks bad when you get to parts of the, like in the second movie, there are long stretches where everything is new. Yeah. And the parts that are inserted that are old animation with that grainy look suddenly look really bad when they're sandwiched in between this nice new high def animation from 2005. Yeah. It's odd. It's yeah. I can imagine that's jarring. Episode 33, the messenger from Axis. Um, Oh, 32. I'm sorry. 
we are on 32, which is unidentified mobile suits. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let, yeah, let's try that again. Unidentified mobile suits. Um, I was like, have you been drinking the tears of time? I've, I've been drink. Well, I just drank one of the beers that I brewed a few weeks ago. Oh, so I've been drinking some tears. Just my so not own. only not only is he drunk, but he's got salmonella probably. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so they are still in the process of trying to repair the Argama right now, um, and Wong is basically forcing. Uh, Bright and everybody to move forward to to meet up with the uh, Axis forces, uh, and he basically you know pulls pulls the dick movies like Chairman Melanie will back me. Um, so this is Wong essentially just like throwing the full weight of money behind him, saying you will meet with Axis and you will do what I say. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, and they and they want to. He's putting pressure on them because they want to meet with Axis before the Titans can. Right. That's the central crux of what is going on in these next couple of episodes is it's a race to go and suck Axis's dick. Yep. 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 Both the Jupiter's and the Argama. Uh, no, the Radish isn't with them, but so yeah, the Jupiter's and the Argama are kind of parallel heading towards them. Um, and they're close enough so that, that we can still have a ship, uh, a, a battle every episode. So yeah, they are within 24 minutes of each other. So we're, we're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, they do give you some background on what Axis is. Um, so if you are new to the series or the show and you heard them mention it earlier, this is a big old asteroid that Xeon during the one year war. Well, obviously they, a little bit before they would have had to, but they started sending uh, people and supplies there as a, uh, sort of like a re as a resource satellite, but it, it's also a bit of a way station between Jupiter and the Earth sphere. So it's a good strategic location, right? Because they need the uh, helium three from Jupiter to power the mobile suits, and so it kind of makes sense that they would want to have something in between. Uh, and it was easier, presumably, with their technology to make a space fortress on an asteroid than, say, put a base on Mars or something like that. Plus, that is yet even further out from Mars. Um, and then, so you've got Axis and it's mostly like just a big asteroid with some military installations on it. Uh, but then you also have a like residential module, which is really a smaller asteroid that is like strapped to it. You can yep. think of that uh, anchored to it. And that's called Musa. They don't bring that up, but you might want to know that information. And, and if you want to hear more details on this, uh, re-listen re to our mini-sodes from... Uh, where we cover Char's deleted affair because most of that is shit. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna occasionally come to CDA because uh, Scotty just read it, um, and I, he has opinions. I think it was bad. It was worth <laughs> your time, right? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> no. Um. All right. So uh, Camille is. Uh, is starting to come around thinking that Fa should just take care of the kids and, and be a woman. Um, and Wong is uh, being a dick about the kids being on the ship. And he, he's like making fun of Char for bringing them. But then he like goes and gets them all like drinks. So it's, yeah, he calls out, he calls out like, why would Char even bring you kids onto the ship? Oh, what you want a Coke? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he does that thing that he's getting a drink and then they're looking at him. And he's like, do you, do you want one too? They're like, no. And then he gets out a second cup anyway. And then he hands it to both Shinta and Kuma. And he's like, children should be more honest about what they want. He, this whole scene feels weird, but the purpose of this is to show you, like, you've probably been able to suspect this if you have any measure of critical thinking skills as you watch it. But Wong is very much that guy that has these personas he slots himself into you very rarely see just Wong the dude. And this is, I think, one of the only scenes in the whole series where you see just Wong being himself, being a regular person. Yeah, he's still a dick. <laughs> oh, yeah, because right before this, he's basically telling, like, Camille, like, get out of here. Go work on your mobile suit. What are you doing? Yeah. Um. So we go and we see Reko dropping a cup of milk. Oh, oh, I, I'm sorry. I had a note when when Wong goes to this vending machine, 
dude, this is this is how you know this is the future. When you order it, you get a cup with a lid and a straw already in it, and it just like drops it down. Oh, that's that's legit. Like, well, I mean, that's also yeah. space too. There's well, it's a it's a pressurized space cup. Yeah, yeah. That's probably got to have like a um what's the word for it on the straw so that everything doesn't come just floating out of the straw. Yeah. You know, like a little gasket or something. Future. <laughs> um, so we know they have gravity because Fa or Rekoa drops her milk and uh, briefly holds Shar's hand. There's like some weird sexual tension between yeah. them. Yeah. There's definitely some tension there that I, I don't know if I got the sense of it. Beforehand, I don't know. I, it felt weird. There's not enough Rekoa on enough of a basis, and there's not like especially there's not enough of her around Quattro slash Char on a regular basis for them to build it up more. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I noticed it starts in the first movie and it does carry through the second one. Just and it's really again sparse, but it's whenever they're together, the movies lay it on a little bit thicker. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But Char doesn't notice anything, but Camille's like, something's wrong with Rekola. Um, so, you know, they've they've been hinting at this ever since she went on that spy mission um, on the Jupiteris and met Sirocco that she's just like, she's been affected somehow. Um, yeah, and there's... Mind fucked by Sirocco. What's that? Mind fucked by Sirocco, man. She's just not right anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there there is some foreshadowing that goes on here. And I, I, I am, I have a purpose when we talk about Rekoa, and that is I see many comments on the internet just over the years, nothing in particular about how Rekoa's story, and if you've seen the series, you know where it goes, how it's not well built. And my mission was, let me see if it was or not. I think if you're just casually paying attention, probably not. But there's some foreshadowing here for it that I want to point out, because Camille's sitting down, he's talking to Quattro, like, hey, what's wrong with her? And... You know, he's uh, Quattro's back is like, you know, you should before you pry into other people's affairs, you need to have more experience yourself with that. So Camille's like, that's why I asked you. Duh. <laughs> and and Quattro comes back with some with the actual foreshadowing part. And um, he says it's easier to get older without understanding these kinds of things. And that can even hurt someone. So you kind of get the feeling that he's he is picking up on the fact that Reko has a thing for him, but he himself is not really sure what to do about it. And he thinks he is hurting her by it, but doesn't know what to do. And that is part of the issue that she is uh, having. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we go back, we have a brief scene on the Jupiteris where Sirocco is um, kind of commenting on uh, Yazan and how kind of reckless he is. Um, and how Sarah is not a fan of Yazan. Um, and you'll see this a few times going forward too, but Sirocco tr is very much trying to keep Yazan and Sarah um, separated uh, because he's, he, he makes a comment. I don't think he makes it right here. He may, I think he makes it later, but he basically says like they're, they're water and oil, right? Yeah. He's by and, Sarah's straight and Yazan's super gay. That's so like, the only logical explanation. Uh, I can't, I didn't take a note here because I, I know I have a note later. Is this where they show Yazan with his new um, promotion suit? He's got his unbuttoned jacket <laughs> with no undershirt. I, I think, I, I, you know how like when you get promotions, you get more, uh, you know, a different insignia. Uh, or like in in like I feel like Yazan's promotion is like he's gonna gradually get like more and more bare chested and show more skin to where like by the time he's a general he's just gonna be wearing a cod piece. <laughs> Man, I watch that. <laughs> the turtle tattoo will get bigger. <laughs> is that a tattoo? I thought he was wearing like a turtle necklace. I, I can't actually tell. I choose to believe it's a tattoo. Let's go with that. <laughs> I mean, either way, there's, there's so many questions. About it. It, it is in like a all, almost a Brock Lesnar spot. Like it's a little bit on his sternum, but like also on like the top of his abs. So it's not quite in the Brock Lesnar 
like Luke, I got a knife on my sternum, but you know. Oh, God. I'm going to my head cannon is that it's a tattoo. Yeah, it's a chest tattoo. Um, all right. So Wong is itching for a fight and Shar uh, is on board, too. And Shar says he only needs 30 minutes. And we know that Zeta only needs 24 minutes. So um, there's going to be a battle this episode. You know that this is this is where they basically say, like, hey, there needs to be something going on. Let's just do it. And Shar's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. And um this is, you know, yeah, Quattro says he has something special in mind at the end of the scene. Now, there's something interesting at the start of the scene because um, Wong is asking if the Dogo skier is, you know, is it approaching them? And, well, is it? Bright in the dubs says, not really. And then the <laughs> subtitles say, yes. <laughs> nah. Leaving open yes. the question, I guess. <laughs> Maybe um yeah so um char needs another mobile suit to pilot an energy supply for his new toy the mega bazooka launcher um we we flash over to Rekoa after he says this and she is packing the stuff in her room away why we don't know but again this is more foreshadowing um char is uh definitely banging Rekoa on the dl but you know, they're not going to show that. Um, it's one of those, like, he's banging her, but there's no emotional attachment. Um, yeah, he even... I mean... Go ahead. Uh, well, no, I mean, like, they kind of they kind of have a moment together, like, because they're in a scene where she's throwing everything out, and he's kind of like, why are you throwing away your plants? What are you, what's going on? Um, and then they end up kissing, and he definitely has that hand lingering on, on her ass, but... I mean, I think that kind of shows a little bit. Well, I so I think if if you if you go by what they said, so Char says he only needs thirty minutes, and by the time he's done with Rekoa, he says he only, he has fifteen minutes. It seems only about a minute long. Yes, maybe two. So, yeah, look, thirteen minute man. I mean, that's enough. That's plenty of time, and especially in space. Yeah, I don't know what space has to do with it. Um, <laughs> I, I've never boned in space. I, I, not qualified to, to say anything, but um, anyhow, th this is an interesting scene. I don't want to bring up too many things about the movie right now, but this scene is very different in the movie uh, because in the TV version here, in the long and short of it is Rekoa feels bogged down and bothered by something already at this point that is outside of it's going beyond Shar. She's like an existential funk here in the TV show. And then, you know, Shar kisses her at the end and they show her like immediately like wiping it off as he walks away. And it's just this quick peck. Hmm. Now in the movie, she is actually like cleaning up plants. Like, and putting some, like you see her like with some like cut vines and stuff, putting them down the garbage chute. Like she's not trying to move out. Um, she's still really thirsty for Shar at this point in the movie because they didn't do all that other like the thing where she goes to the Dogo skier. It doesn't happen. Mm. That's not, that doesn't happen in the movie. So um, what they end up having she's just uh, a jilted lover. Yeah. And what they end up having there happening um, is that he's asking her in the movie, Hey, uh, we need an energy tank for the Hyakushiki's new upgraded hyper mega launcher. And if you'll remember, this is the same thing that um, Jared and Sarah and Mawa did. Yeah. Like, several episodes ago. So now they're doing essentially the same thing. Um, but he's, uh, he's saying, yeah, uh, we're going to use the Methus as the energy tank. And she goes, okay, I'll do it under one condition. And then they like make out like straight up. <laughs> like it's not subtle. It's not short. Um, it's not long, but like there's embracing there. It, it is held. And then when he leaves this time, she doesn't wipe it off, but she notices that he, wore his sunglasses the whole time. <laughs> does he ever take them off? Well, and it's funny because in the, in the movie scene, he does not have them on in the hallway, but then when he follows Rekua into her room, before he steps into her room, which is dark, he puts the sunglasses on. <laughs> it's like he's, he doesn't want to look at her. That's so, their, I don't know. their prescription bang glasses. Okay. <laughs> he can't have them off. Or, you know, so she gets a yeah, go blinded by his own essence. <laughs> so she she's piloting this, this like hand me down Gelgoog still, because um, keep in mind she gave Fa the Methus 
even though I, like I didn't realize it was hers to give. But so the Gelgoog is taken to be the battery. Um, and then we get to a point where so like they they launch. And there's something that just bothers me, and and it's probably because they just need to reuse an, uh, assets. But why does the Zeta every time it launches immediately transform into uh, fighter mode? Why doesn't it just launch as a fighter? Hey kids, this model kit slash toy can transform from robot to space fighter jet, and you can't go watch this and catch up on Netflix to see that. <laughs> So we need to make sure that if you're catching this show at random, that see every hey, kids time. look at the cool main Gundam. You've got to buy it. All right. So that's the answer. That's why it transforms every single time. Listen, um, as a Transformers fan, I can spot the old two cell toys reason from I mean, like I, it, I could see that in Arizona from here <laughs> if it was happening. Uh, so speaking about uh, new lines of toys, um, Yazan gets a Hammurabi, and he does not like it. He is not a fan of the Hammurabi. Um, and then we we jumped over a, a great scene where they get, where they are like floating around in space and getting loaded up. No, no, with. Um, uh, Shirako and Yazan talking about the Hammurabi. This is before he gets it. Oh, no, he 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 was talking about it at first. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, that is where you are. All right, made it sound like he was launching it. Sorry. No, not yet. Sorry, he was just saying that he doesn't like it. So he, I, I assume, like, he's got gotten it at this point, but he's not in it. But, yeah, so he says he doesn't like it, and Shirako is telling Yazan that he needs his help to become a better pilot. Um but he holds Yazan back from this battle. He's basically like, don't, don't fight in this battle. I need you next episode. Was that he, doesn't make, he doesn't like the Hammurabi because it has like a strange power, a strange like, I can't remember what the exact verbiage he used was, but it was like a strange feel. And Shiraku, yeah. And Shiraku says, well, you can't win the power alone. The strange feeling is because of you. Yeah. Um, he, he says that uh, Shirako says basically that his presence gives extra power and that he's glad that Yazan can sense that. Mm -hmm. And it's very flirty. Oh, they're banging. For sure. Oh, yeah. And because right after that, Yazan says to Shirago, he, Shirako, he's an interesting man. And then my note for this is that they shake hands with maximum gay energy. Because <laughs> that's they what happens. Hey, whoever yeah. says Gundam doesn't have appropriate representation hasn't seen some of this stuff and just taken the innuendo. I don't know about appropriate, but it has representation. <laughs> they uh, they had a cut scene where he offered to show him his turtle. <laughs> <sighs> um. Yep. So Camille is. Uh, we get back to Camille just like wrecking all of these suits that are coming on to him, um, not really having to stress too much about it. And then um, Char and Rekua begin charging the Mega Bazooka launcher, um, and Char feels pressure from Sirocco right as he's missing, right as he's getting ready to take his first shot against the Jupiteris. Um, and he kind of misses. And then, like, they have this scene where it's like, all right, it's going to charge. It's going to take a minute. And then, like, it immediately shows the second shot. So it, it, and then, like, so he kind of, like, glances off of the deck with the second shot. And then they immediately start recharging again. It's, like, kind of like a weird, confusing set of, of, of things. Like, um, and I think they actually shoot the bazooka one more time than they say they actually have the capability to shoot it. Um, it's, it's a somewhat, confusing scene but yeah they, they say i have like five shots and when i was watching i counted more than five shots so um i counted uh, there's four where is yeah i counted four hmm. so um because you got the first one misses entirely the second one hits a catapult deck yeah um the third barely misses the bridge Right. That's the one that goes right in front of it. And Sarah's like, I'll go out. And he's like, no, you and Yazan are oil and water. 
Uh, and then the fourth shot, it kind of hits the other catapult deck right after Yazan launches. And that's right. when Shars like Requa uh, go back over to the Argama. Um, there's there's one cool part of the action that is in here uh, while this is going on. Uh, at one point, Camille in the Zeta is like goes up to a Marasai and basically uses its head as a springboard. It's yeah. just a power move. Like he just jumps over this other suit with the Zeta's foot. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, there were you know Shar and Reko were putting so much pressure onto the the Jupiterus that Sirocco did finally allow Yazan to launch. Um, and like Sky said, like he said, Sarah, stay back. You're you you and Yazan don't mix well. Um, yeah, so they fire enough bazooka shots that they run out of ammo or whatever they battery power, I guess. Um, and like, yeah, Shar's like, all right, Reko, you can head back. And so she starts heading towards the Jupiter's with her Gelgoog. Um, Yazan and Camille engage in battle, and uh, Camille is very, very much out outmatched in this fight. Like he is getting uh, his ass handed to him, but in yeah, no uncertain, good. yeah, no uncertain terms, Camille's losing. And that's like contrasted to like a, a few minutes ago, uh, Camille was just blowing ships or uh, suits up left and right. Um. So uh, Reko actually shows up and saves Camille uh, and pushes Yazan away. Um, and so Camille's happy and confused all at the same time. Like, what's she doing out here with this janky one-year war Gelgoog that's upfitted with, what, Nemo parts? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Reko gets hit by Yazan, and then um, a, a barrage of shots uh, starts raining down from the sky uh, right in time to save Reko and Camille and drive away Yazan's uh, suits. Um, and then we see the Axis fighters and uh, Sirocco's forces retreat for now. What what are those suits that, that were flying down? Do you know off the top of your head? Gaza Seas. Gaza yeah. Seas. G-A-Z-A dash Was this the part where he says uh, there must be at least 10 of them? Or a dozen of them or something like that? No, that's that's later on. Okay. Um, yeah, so Camille questions Reko about why she was uh, in that area because, like, she had no weapons. She had no business being in the midst of the battle. Um, and she basically cusses him out, and he's like, oh, well, all right, let's not go there. Um, and Reko goes back to her em empty room, and we see her fantasizing about Shirako. Um we see a shot of Haman briefly in the lower right corner, and then a shot of Shar and saying, could, could she be in one of those suits? And then we see a shot of Haman in one of those suits, and the episode ends. Neat point here. In the show, uh, Haman is just in a regular Gaza Sea. Uh, in the movie, she is in a still just a Gaza Sea, but it's a custom colored one. And the colors in the movie were based off of uh, those first seen in the Gearing's Creed video game. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I want to play some of those games. Cause that one's like the, that, that one's like the strategy game, isn't it? Yeah. With all like the parallel universe roots and things. Yeah. Like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, episode 32 is really a setup for episode 33. Um, and here we go. Episode 33. I'll reannounce it. The messenger from Axis. Buckle up, buckaroos. Yeah. Um, so Wong compares the Axis buildup to the AU buildup. So it basically sets the stage for like, why was uh, Axis able to like build up all these military forces? And it was basically because they say the Federation stopped caring um, so AU was able to build up, Karaba was able to build up, and Axis was able to build up. Um, and I don't know. Should should we start like should we start mentioning retcons with like CDA at this point? Like we can a little bit. Yeah. I mean the the idea here is that you know what's presented in the show is 
the, the Federation stopped paying attention. And then when you look at something like 0083, you would think they stopped paying attention because they were busy with Xeon remnants. And yeah. that's what they were hyper-focused on. And that is the whole thing that spurned the Titans movement was getting this Xeonism out of the Earth sphere. Um, and I think that I think that fits in with with the CDA stuff because they were clearly looking for Xeon forces. Yeah, the thing that CDA does is it makes you know that the Federation is aware of Axis. Right. They kind of just don't. Well, they don't know where, exactly where it is. Yeah, I mean they have an idea, and then like you know, there's this whole subplot with these guys trying to get a ship back to be like, oh, they're building weapons out here, and then it gets blown up and yeah, the whole thing doesn't go anywhere. Like well, most of the manga. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. So, uh, Shar sees Haman and Camille as they enter the ship or Camille sees Haman too. So they, they enter this, uh, what was the name of the ship? I forgot to take the name down. Guadan, the Guadan. So yeah, the they enter the Guadan, and uh, it's kind of like the capital ship of of the Axis forces, I think. Um, <laughs> Wong introduces himself to Haman. Um, he's very self-important, and then uh, we are introduced to Maneva Zabi, who the last time we saw was um, an infant being held by. Uh, her, her mother and father, whose names are now Dozel. Dozel and Zena. Yep. So there is, uh, Elaine just gave you like the hyper cliff note. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a crane a flying out. Damn, like spoiling. <laughs> I, I wrote so much about this. And then you spoke for like five seconds and covered all of it. And I don't know if I'm like mad I wrote so much or no. Um, Scotty has more nuance to it. Scotty has way more nuance. Or or not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's this whole this is a very important scene in Zeta Gundam. And if you didn't if you can't tell that from the important music and the giant double doors, I don't know what else is going to tell that to you. But this is an important scene. And so you kind of got this whole build up to it. And it, there's a few things going on. Like when these big double doors open to this big assembly hall looking room, you got Appley and Camille looking like just dumb. They're like, what? Yeah. Like they're, they're totally speechless from the way that they drew their faces. Um, and then you have... Uh, bright thinking to himself. Um, this is, you know, you hear it, but it's Bright's thoughts that, oh, this this is pompous as hell. This has <laughs> got to be the zombies. Yeah. Like, I, I totally know it is. Um, and then uh, the other part of this is, yeah, as you mentioned, so th this is something I hadn't noticed in all four or five, whatever previous watches of this show. But right as those doors are opening and you see a little bit of the inside of the assembly hall, a uh, crane or swan flies on the screen from right to left and off like off screen, like through the doors as they open flies towards like everybody. Yeah, right. And then you don't see it. You don't see it before this. You don't see it after this in the episode. And I think it's very symbolic um, because of what is about to go down. Um, I'm completely convinced now that either this is, that's Lala and then maybe only Shar can see it or maybe he can and doesn't notice. Um, but there's some, at, at any rate, even if it is an actual crane that just got loose <laughs> symbolism at least. Right. Yeah. Um, and I never noticed it. And I was like, wow, that, okay. All right. That it's one of those little things that I was like, yeah, that's a, I feel like that's a bigger deal than, uh, you know, I, I, maybe there should have been more focus on it because shouldn't take this many watches to, to notice. But anyway, um, so yeah, Maneva, excuse me, Haman then introduces uh, Princess Maneva Zabi and you, um, now we can kind of carry on a little bit. Char's reflecting on like playing with her as a child and um, 
she's a whole eight here, but then you get to see this little still frame of like Char playing with her on Axis when she was like, you know, one, two, whatever. Very, very young. I feel like Luke has something to say here. I, I was going to make a comment, but the moment seems to have passed. I was just saying, I watched that scene knowing that the swan was going to happen, and I missed it, knowing that it was going to happen. And I had to go, I finished the episode and then remembered that it happened because you pointed it out to me. I had to go back and rewatch that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maneva orders Char to address. Sorry, uh, not Maneva. Uh, Haman orders Shar to address Maneva. Um, so he's like talking to her. Um, and uh, everyone in. So Maneva specifically calls Char, Char. Hey, Char Asimov, what's going on? How's your day to go? Long time no see, Uncle Char. Um, and everybody's like, everybody but Camille and Wong are like, oh my God. Camille is that, actually makes a comment like, are you guys just now figuring this shit out? Like, I wanted I wanted to make a note about that um, because I had the subtitle. I don't normally have the subtitles turned on when I'm watching, but I had the subtitles turned on when I was watching. Um, and he goes like uh, like it's a big surprise or something like that. And he's clearly yeah. sarcastic, like he knew the whole time. But the uh, subtitle when he says that is "What the hell?" <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I actually prefer the dub there because I feel like I feel like that's very consistent. Um, yeah, um, I actually had made the same note. He goes, some secret. Yeah. In that tone of voice. Um, but with Bright being surprised, that's not, uh-uh. No, this is this is a problem with the storytelling. Because, remember... Oh, I yeah, Hayato and um, um, Kai had, had told him. Well, there's that. And even go back to when they pick up Bright and Bright first gets on the Argama. Right. And he's trying to, you know, he, he, I forget, like he addresses him by his shark rank. And he's like, no, I'm oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah it, I kind of read that as like, a, oh, I'm also surprised. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's just keeping up appearances. Maybe, maybe it was the voice actor not doing a convincing job or just being said, like, told, read this. But yeah, it, it, it appeared to me, everyone but Wong and Camille had no clue what was going on, which is funny because Appley, if you, again, going back to the CDA, like Appley was at Axis with Char this entire time. So, um, yep. Yeah. And not only is it that, it has continuity problems. Yeah. Multiple ones. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, but this whole scene is actually very tense. And because when, when Haman first calls Char to approach, right? Because, well, okay, what you have is Maneva like kind of whispers off to the side to one of her um, handmaidens or whatever. And that's when you have Haman uh, cue Char to say, Hey, you've been, you need to approach. And he, he pauses for a moment and there is this death bitch stare from Haman over to Char. Like, okay. And then he's going up there really slow. And then this is, you would think maybe would cut the tension a little bit. It, totally fails to do so she's like oh i knew you were char as and then everybody is surprised and then um she's like oh yeah i remember when we used to play together and char's like hmm that's surprising you were two yeah that's that's a really that's a really good memory huh and then maneva kind of pivots into this very formal type of speech um where she's thanking him for his long-term reconnaissance work and requesting his assistance in reviving the Zabi family and how the revival of Zeon is important for all space noids. And as she's saying this stuff, which is very, very clearly like rehearsed, she says it cleaner than what I just did. I didn't know mm -hmm. the quotes. Um, he is slowly approaching her until he is right in front of her, like thrown and has his arms out leaning down with his arms on the, like thrones armrest things it's that power intimidation kind of pose um and he, he's just kind of looming and she's stopped talking at that point obviously and he's like oh yeah continue please um 
and then finally Haman yells because there's this little thing where like when as he's getting closer, the guards are obviously wanting to like they're like, Can we shoot this guy? Yeah. Can we kill him now. And Haman like has them put their guns away. And then when he is actually like looming over her and is like, Oh, please continue, then Haman yells at Shar, like, What the fuck are you doing, man? And um, this is when he gets mad. Uh, Shar kind of lo- gets just mad at this point. Yeah, I mean, Matt is an understatement. He, yeah, he he calls Mineva a parrot and starts arguing with Haman. Um, and then, you know, they basically start brawling to, to some level and uh, um, they all get kind of confined to a room. Yeah, well, he's he's like, how dare you make her like this, right? Yeah. Like he's thinking, oh, Lord, they've raised her to be the exact thing that he, that Shar would not want that right. would not want really when you think about it. And um, yeah, they start to brawl because Shar goes up to Haman and he, he, he doesn't go gentle. He grabs her like by like the scruff of the neck collar of her clothes. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because e- even without um, like CDA, right? Like without that in there, um, if they call him out as Shar Asimov, the Red Comet, um, you would think that, you know, that people were like, wait, that's the Red Comet? Like, you know, he was a Xeon, uh, he was an important Xeon officer. So uh, you would think people would have some level of confusion, be like, wait, this, this, they just, you know, this guy was just said to be on a long term reconnaissance mission. <laughs> you know, um, there's a lot of things that, probably be playing against each other there if you're the soldiers. Um, yep, so they get locked into a room, and then, you know, I thought Char and Camille staged a fight, but it doesn't look like they actually staged... Did they stage it, or did did Char just I, go overboard when he ended up hitting Camille no, a few times? I wouldn't 100% think they staged it, because he, say, he says, hey, I need to get out of this room, and I need your help, and then it cuts to him beating the shit out of Camille. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, it just seemed like maybe Camille played it a little bit harder than he should have. Cause he was like, you know, so they get in a fight. Um, and then, you know, somebody, the guard comes in, uh, Wong takes a gun from the guard and Shard, you know, escapes the room. Um, yeah, and the guard comes in after saying, I'm not going to fall for this. <laughs> yeah. And then he falls yeah, for he it. He does really hard. Um, Yep. So Camille and Rekoa go after, um, after Shar, and uh, Mane- we get a flash of Maneva who is delirious right now. She's just like she's a child. She's an eight-year-old kid who's just gotten like screamed at by a man that wears glasses in inappropriate situations. Um, and Shar uh, approaches Haman and tells her that he's never betrayed anyone. Uh, after she says, you know, he, he betrayed her. Ever, whole life, not one person. Yeah. Um, and Haman says that he, she allowed him to to scout the Earth sphere as a reward for his service. Um, and uh, yeah, this is this is a, a weird a thing, just because um, the only the only stuff we have is is the CDA stuff, and like it kind of fits, but it doesn't really fit. And in some ways, like, um, because, you know, I I feel like I I wonder how like the Zeta Define manga handles this scene. I would actually be really interested in reading that. I would be curious because I saw what CDA was selling and I wasn't buying it. Yeah, because it it does. It very clearly doesn't mesh with the anime. Because, yeah, you get here. There's bloodlust between the two of them. And, And there should be. From the manga side, because again, he's pissed because, you know, his his baby his baby and baby mama dead. Yeah, but they don't part with bloodlust. She does, I think, in the in the manga, because he basically forced her to let him go against what against what her wishes were. Like he backed her into a corner, and basically was like, "Yeah, all these people said I'm leaving. I guess I gotta go, huh?" Like, uh, but yeah, it, but I feel like the way that they did a lot of it was really cheap. Um, like, basically, Haman's angry because she has like a teen girl crush on Shar. Yeah, 
that never goes anywhere. They barely interact. Well, she's also mentally unstable. Yeah. Just because of, because of her new type abilities manifesting and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I no, I agree with you. We're on the same page. It just doesn't mesh well with the manga for multiple reasons. Um, yeah. I, I want to read Define sometime, especially like this this sequence of like meeting Haman and all this stuff and see if it plays out in a way that's more coherent with the manga. Yeah, there now there is some Rekoa stuff that is running in, in, in like an undercurrent during this. Um, so right when they first even leave the Argama, uh, Fall is all up to Camille, like, you only want to go because Rekoa is. And he's like, no, it's Bright's orders. Like he's used that excuse so many times. Um, and then when uh, Shara leaves the, the confinement room, um, uh, first it's just Rekoa that's going to go look for Shar. But then Camille goes along too. Yeah. It's, like, oh, it's too dangerous for you to go alone. And she's not impressed. She's like, dude, I, okay, whatever. Um, and then keeping in mind that she does a lot of these spy missions, like that, that's her MO. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and Bright even has to toss Camille a gun. He's like, dude, come on. Like you're going to, you know, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, You've got Camille while they are going and looking, going, why do you keep signing up for dangerous missions? Um, and so, yeah, anyway, you've got uh, you got some things uh, going on like that. Um, and then also the oh, before we get there, you have another thing here, too, that I liked. That was you get this one little shot uh, during the stuff where they're in the, the holding cell. Uh, Faz on the Argama Bridge with, I think, like Torres and Caesar. She's like, why is it moving? And Torres is like, eh, she's keeping the peace. Seems fine. Nothing could be going wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, and then, yeah, you get uh, the stuff with Haman and Shar, and uh, Haman actually ends up shooting Rekoa, like in the yep. shoulder. Yep. She gets shot, and, uh, and and Camille, actually, you know, he, he pulls out a pretty good move here and just like, Tell Shar to grow the fuck up. He's like, you are acting irrationally and you're going to cause us to get killed. Um, and Shar is acting like Shar. Yeah, he's way more... Ex uh, uh, oh, Shar from old. Eh, I'd, I'd say he's still a little bit more irrational than that, that old one. Like, he's, he's acting without purpose. He's just he's kind of like... acting on emotion. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, Shar tells Rekwa that he has no plans to restore the Zabi family when she's kind of like questioning him that he's, you know, a man alone and, uh, they managed to get out of that, that situation, um, and escape. So, um, the Argama at this point knows something's going on finally. And they're like, all right, we're going to have to like GTFO. Um, so they start launching these dummy asteroid balloons, um, to block access radar from being able to target the Argama and, and see exactly where they're at. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I got to say Torres and Saigusa are like on point, like a boss here. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and Torres just jumps right in the seat. He's like, get the mobile suits out, get the balloons out. And yeah, they end up blocking. Uh, they mentioned that uh, they like they cut to the Guadan and they mentioned like, wow, clever Argama. They've blocked our visual and radar. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't have any Minoski to particles um, dispersed. So, <laughs> I, I you notice how Minoski particles don't matter in Zeta at all? They're a convenient excuse when that one Titans guy wants to pretend he didn't get a call from that mayor of the colony <laughs> they were about to gas. <laughs> it's just really like uh, and 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 Mobile Suit Gundam Minoski particles ruin everything, and Zeta. Uh, listen do you know when minofsky particles matter when it matters when lot needs them to yeah. um yeah so <laughs> uh where am i at um yep yeah, so Rekoa calls fa a joke of a pilot like Rekoa is on like like mean asshole mode right now um and now hopped up on painkillers yeah yeah because she yeah she got her arm wrapped up and got some drugs and she's just like um yeah, she's she's nuts, and a lot of Titan mobile suits launch, 
And uh, Requa launches in the Methus, I think, at this point, even though she had given the Methus to Fa, which, yep. party foul, man. You can't give well, somebody a mobile suit owned by a military organization and take it back. I think she thought she wasn't going to come back from the Jupiter's mission. And that's what that was about. But then as yeah. soon as she gets back, she's like, no, this, I'm going out. This. <laughs> um, now, you, you do have a couple other things going on here, too. You got like when Wong comes back, he's like, I think this is Char's fault. And Bright's like, this would have happened anyway, somehow. Yeah. He's like, we have to have a battle every episode. So this was going to happen, dude. You know. Um, and then Haman's mad and she thinks that, and you get a little bit of, uh, I want to say exposition, maybe just setting of the Axis fleet that is there on the Guadan. She thinks that Char only pulled it off because the Axis personnel that are there are mostly amateurs, is what she thinks to herself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the Jupiter's launches some suits, um, and they, they make a very brief mention about using something uh, when they launch, but then we see what happens is, is, is uh, Camille starts chasing these suits and they spread out and he gets caught in this spider web net type thing. Uh, it wraps him up and it starts just like electrocuting his suit. Um, so he's disabled and Rekwa shows up to help and so does Char. Um, and then Rekwa is still like fantasizing about Sirocco mid-battle. Um, and Yazan tells Rekoa that women don't belong on the battlefield with men. And um, he starts beating up on her again. So this is the second time in two episodes that Yazan's really just done a number on um, Rekoa. Um, I do want to note that uh, when he's going for the finishing blow, though, uh, Yazan ends up getting punked by three Nemos. <laughs> yeah. Nemos, they show up right in time to drive dry him off, drive him off. Um, and those are the radish reinforcements that just kind of showed up. Uh, they showed up with the Mark two. So we got Emma and everybody flying out. Um, and they kind of saved the day and the episode kind of ends. Uh, well, we're not quite at the very end, but, um, Sirocco is kneeling to Maneva and pledging his undying loyalty, uh, to her. Um, and Maneva, thinks, or sorry, uh, Haman thinks he's a fool. Sometimes I wrote Maneva when I meant Haman. It's just, you know, these things happen. Yeah, yeah. They, um, this is another fun subs versus dubs thing. Uh, so in the dub, it's something to the effect of, uh, you know, Haman seeing Shirako and thinking, wow, we've, uh, we've even got a fool like this one. The Earth Sphere might have something to offer us after all. Like, wow, look at this idiot. This might be entertaining. Yeah. That's what she's thinking. And in the sub, uh, she says, it's even more of a burn. She's, she's thinking to herself, the world also has clowns like this man. Maybe <laughs> the world isn't so bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the episode kind of ends with uh, Fa and Camille finally getting along with each other. And um, I guess they're enjoying a different type of hobby now. And, uh, Rekua being injured and Char stewing in his room about Haman. So he's who he calls Zeon's ghost, making you wonder a little bit why it's a few episodes before this, or several before this, they call one the ghost of Zeon, yeah. but whatever. Anyway, uh, and then the narrator tells us that this incident marks the failure of the Agug to form ties with Axis, and now they must contend with a Zeon and Titans alliance. Yeah. Which, why would the Titans, I mean, so th this is the ultimate irony, right? Like the, the Titans at this point uh, were formed to fight off uh, Zeon remnants. And now they are allying with the ultimate Zeon remnants. <laughs> well, you see, Shirako is acting independently. And he maybe didn't have permission to do this. 
Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, right. And I mean, he's he's Titan, but he's not real. I mean, he he was what from he was from the Jupiter sphere, so he's he's only like tangentially a Titan. He's just kind of like doing his own thing, um, kind of like um, Sema. I feel like in a lot of ways, Anaheim, huh? An- like Anaheim. Oh Planet. no, no, I was I was saying more like Sema from oh, um, I know. from Double Eighty Three. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I was just adding on. Like there's yeah, Anaheim plays whoever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just a theme throughout Zeta. There are a lot of interests that are playing multiple angles on other interests to get what they want out of just really a civil conflict. Yeah, yeah. It's not the grips war yet. It becomes known as that. <laughs> yeah i don't think it's ever called that during no yeah all right you got anything else Whew, that's a packed episode that's a lot of stuff i yeah. don't know why the movie ends at 32 and then starts on this but whatever um yeah this, this is it's a big one and i yeah. think this is uh in in Char's story, this is a turning point or a tipping point, but not both. Uh, what we had seen from the time that uh, Blex gets taken out, maybe a little before that, up until the scene with Maneva, really up until the Swan Crane, um, is that he is trying to embrace his better qualities. He's trying to be a leader. He's trying to be like surrogate father figure for Camille a little bit and um, trying to do like, you see him in some meetings saying things that maybe he doesn't believe as much as he thinks he's supposed to say them. Like he's trying to be the dude that everyone was asking him to be. He's trying to be like, everybody was whisper- whispering in his ear to become the leader of the AU. So now he's trying. Right. But this is the point where something flips in his head, I think. And he starts to lose his way on on doing what he had been doing. Yep. And we'll keep seeing that as we go. Yep. Yeah, he's... This is definitely like a new phase of Zeta, but also a new phase of a lot of the characters that we're going to see throughout here. Camille, I feel like has uh, he, I think maybe in the last two episodes before this episode started, he, he had already started kind of changing his persona a little bit. Fa is now um, trying to be more of a motherly figure. Um, Bright isn't slapping people as much. (laughs) Um, But I mean, we are seeing like personality shifts, like uh, kind of occurring whenever they're, you know, an individual character arc is kind of happening. So yeah. you've got the, the buildup of fatigue from a long conflict that's going on. But also just, I think, in, in looking at the overall story arc, a lot of this here is where, to me, Zeta stops being a sequel to Gundam and starts being its story and moving things into eventually double Zeta. And it's almost, um, you know, maybe I mentioned it as a, a tipping point or turning point, because to me, this is where the story really starts to move away from one year war and aftermath to a new phase. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Took a hot minute, man. Took a hot minute and Yazan wearing an open chested jacket. The show is long. I found a, I found a, a thread from like 2003 where they were debating about whether or not it was a turtle tattoo or a turtle necklace or just some 3D turtle thing that he's got attached to him. I have I have a more pressing question though, Luke. Did did you ever get the the turtlenecks? It's not arrived. I ordered it from Ally Express. <laughs> uh, as of when I recorded that, it's only been about probably two weeks since we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, two weeks yeah. like that. So it hasn't arrived yet. AliExpress, you never know. <laughs> is, it, is it shipping from like China or something? 
Oh, pretty much everything from AliExpress is like straight in the heart of China. Okay. All right. So somebody's going to have I can get some it. pangolin blood on it. I could <laughs> get it and it'd be a doll shirt. I could get it and it'd be like, I, I assume Chinese medium. It does not fit me. <laughs> we'll see. It's not fruit of the loom. Well, I mean, like I'm, I'm like six one, and you know, it, I don't, I don't think that's common for mediums over there. We'll see. Yeah, we'll it, it might be more like a schmedium. I don't know. Look, Yao can obviously get clothes somewhere. So, <laughs> when I have a custom, when I have a custom one made, just look at, uh, look at me next Halloween. We'll see what happens. All right. Anything else? All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Check us out on Twitter at New Type Flash Pod or our post on the Mobile Suit Gundam subreddit. Uh, next, in two weeks, we'll be coming to you with Zeta, episode 34, The Call of Darkness. So uh, until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>